guys, can you believe it's the last episode in the series? And we're ending with lots of positivity as I speak to the co-founder of the Happiness Index, Matt Phelan. From farmer to CEO and now on to his second company, we had a great chat about what happens when you look at business differently. And there's a really good quote in this one, which I think I'll be using for years. He said, out of your biggest failures come your biggest opportunities which I think sums up this series beautifully. This podcast has been a lockdown project and so you will have heard references to COVID and lockdowns and it's provided connection and good chats at a time where there was so much uncertainty in the world. And I just wanted to thank all my guests for being so open and generous with their stories and their time and sharing them with us. So thank you so much for making this such a great series. And on that note, here's me and Matt chatting failure. So before I worked with human beings, I worked with animals. Okay. That was actually my career. I was a farmer. <laughs> wow, that yeah. is so different. Yeah. So have you got any pets at all, Louise? I don't have a pet. I'm not a pet person, I'm afraid. Okay. Okay, so for those that are listening that are pet people or do like animals, I'm not saying you don't like animals. No, no, I'm a good pet auntie. I've got lots lots of uh, dog nieces and nephews. So I would argue that animals are better at communicating than human beings. Okay. And the reason I believe that is that if, if you're working with an animal, an animal makes it really clear how they feel. How do they do that? So if they're hungry, they'll go to their pot, won't they? Or wherever their food is. Sure, of course. Or if they're sad, they'll come to you and do the sad face. Yeah. (laughs) If if they're angry at you or annoyed at you because you've been away all day, your dog will let you know. All dogs just love you, whatever, right? Yeah. So animals are really good communicators. And the problem with us me and you Louise is we can way overcomplicate the way that we deal with each other because of this language thing we have and I imagine because this is a podcast people might be listening in different countries as well but the Brits uh, the must be the world champions at not being able to communicate how they feel through language oh absolutely we're terrible at it yeah so human beings can an English person can hate you and you never know by what they say (laughs) If you employ people from around the world, which I did in 4Ps and I did in the happiness index, what you realise is that there's so much more to language than the words. There's the tone, the way people say it and so on. So the reason I started 4Ps is because I didn't fit into being an employee. I found it really weird when I got to work and I felt like everyone was just, you know, when you, you know, when you call your friend on a Friday night or you meet them on a Friday night, you meet them and, and they're their work version for about 10 minutes. And then you're oh, like, yeah, you absolutely. You you've got to get them out of that conversation. Yeah. And I just couldn't get over that. I found the world of work really weird. <laughs> and that you would have someone who's got one personality here and then, and then you might bump into a work person at the weekend and they're very different. Yeah. And I couldn't cope with that. I just found that really weird. Yeah. Um, it's almost like we wear lots of different hats. And we struggle to go from one hat to the next. Yeah. So the farm I worked on was a family farm. So I was used to working with my family. So I've got two sisters. If my sisters have got a problem with me, they tell me straight away. No worries about it. I know if in 10 seconds exactly what I've done wrong and what I've got to do about it. Okay. Uh, yeah. But real work in a lot of workplaces is not like that. You can have annoyed someone for the last six months and they haven't told you because they think sharing emotions is unprofessional. Yes, this so, is true. 
so my first sort of failure in the world of work was I never really fitted into anyone else's culture. So, you know, when they start a business, like you speak to someone, maybe you've had people on the podcast, they're like, oh, I just had a dream one night and I woke up and I invented Facebook or whatever. <laughs> that, that didn't happen to me. I just didn't like, I just didn't like work and being told what to do. So I was like, okay, let's try. Let's let's try and start my own company. The world of work, I just found a really confusing place and I didn't get it and I couldn't see myself doing that. When I looked ahead, it made me unhappy when I thought of myself having a 20, 30 year career. So yeah, that was my first sort of thing that I wanted to share with you. But I think it came from a unique experience of growing up on a farm where it, it is very different. Yeah, and obviously when you're working with your family members, you can say what you want to them because, you even if you do offend them they're your family they're not going anywhere it's not like you can get sacked from your family yeah okay so then that kind of prompted you to think okay I'll start my own then yeah I went to play football uh, the night after my first day at my new job and my friend said oh you know it's like he's been really happy for me congratulations on the new job really proud of you blah 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 and I was like I hate it I hate it wow <laughs> I was like no I'm dumb I'm wow done <laughs> you knew from the off yeah and I said I'm gonna do my own thing and he was like oh well, I'll do it with you oh. <laughs> I, was like, I was like okay we wrote a couple of business plans and then yeah a couple of months later we're hand- both handed in our notices wow um, it's as quick as that yeah when you start your own business sometimes some of your friends or your family try and stop you because they think it's scary because yeah. the education system doesn't necessarily encourage you to start businesses it's more about getting a career so it can freak well, some people out it's a big risk and people who are risk averse that's really scary for them and they just think wow that that's impossible like why would you ever do that to yourself but people entrepreneurs who are happy to take risks find it exciting and motivating so I guess there's two different people there isn't there yeah and being on the other side of the fence now for 13 years I would say the bigger risk has been unhappy for your entire life wow. and, I, and I think that would have been me I was living for the weekend which isn't the if anyone's listening and they live for the weekend I'm not judging you for that I wanted to be excited about everything like weekends yeah. I remember one Christmas, like I'm sure lots of people resonate with. You get Sunday night fear, don't you? But New Year's Day fear before going back to work for many people is mm-hmm. even 10 times worth Sunday night fear. Absolutely. I experienced that. That wasn't for me. Yeah. I mean, I always thought that if you spend the majority of your time at work, you may as well do something that you enjoy. Exactly. And I, and I have learned since that there are lots of companies that if I had worked at, I would have actually fitted in better. And I think that's where people are uncovering these. They sound like buzzwords, but things like purpose. I found this company the other day, check them out. They're, they're called Ecology. They help companies plant trees and stuff. Oh, I was like, wow, it. if I'd if I'd worked there, I'd have been all over that because I'd be connected to the purpose of that business. Yeah. I think you can be happy as an employee. I mean, you think about it when when we started in 2008, the iPhone 2 wasn't actually out yet. At that point, you couldn't properly surf the internet on your phone. Mm. I mean, that's how much has changed in that period of time. Yeah. It's much easier now look for new opportunities. Wow. Like the world of work and opportunity has opened up in in many yeah. good ways. I also feel like companies are taking culture and purpose and values a lot more seriously these days because there's so many great places to work and because a lot of startups have introduced new, interesting, exciting benefits that aren't just 
here's your pension and here's your 25 days holiday. Yeah. People and companies need to be a little bit more competitive on that front, yeah. actually. Yeah, and the funny thing about that, Louise, is for about five, six years, everyone was like, oh, these millennials, blooming millennials, they don't care, they just leave. It's like, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you need to reconsider what you're offering people to yeah. stay. And maybe... It's actually not giving them snooker tables and big Christmas parties and after work drinks. Maybe, just maybe, it's actually thinking about what your company stands for. And maybe, just maybe, there's a generation of people who give a shit. And that if you give a shit, they will stick around. Because wow. I've certainly found that. Yeah, that's amazing. So you've been sat in with the spoons. You've done your business plan. <laughs> you've handed in your notice. You're ready yeah. to go. What happens next? Back in the day, like I'm in a I'm in a sort of a flexible workspace as I record this. But back in the day, your office location mattered. Mm. Doesn't really matter now. Clients don't even consider it. But we got an attic just behind Oxford Street, so we had like the postcode. Postcode in 2008 was important. So oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. I remember a dragon saying that they rented a broom covered in Mayfair at one yeah. point just to get the postcode. So we had an attic behind oxford street so pretty much exactly the same uh, strategy and it worked back then it did work because the fact that we had an office there nobody ever questioned the fact that we were a one day old company <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah this is, i just want to share this is our first failure there's a phrase of fail fast isn't there yeah fail fast. Day, yeah. day one we get in we get on the phones we're calling people we realize the whole business plan is crap and it's not going to work <laughs> Um, oh so we just change it. Goodness. We just change it. We change what the service is. We change what the offering is. Day two, we changed it. We could have been stuck up our own butts and be like, let's like die on the cross of our idea. But we didn't. We changed it on day two. Yeah. So the first effort was the business plan was wrong. But if you can move your little ego out of the way for 10 seconds and think about other stuff, you can quickly make a change. Be flexible and adapt. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means what you thought you've been given feedback by the market doesn't work. Right. And we knew because we were really task focused. We we made, I don't know how many calls we made, but we probably made 50 each. For, I'm trying to do the maths. But however many it was, we had done enough calls in one day to know that that idea was not landing and the costs and the way we structured it. And then we just massively changed it. And from there, we moved forward. So great lesson. Day one, boom, yeah. it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of entrepreneurs that spend years working on the plan. Business planning has to live in the real world. Like you have to plan. And, and that's why all this fail fast stuff works because we got out there, we talked to people about it. They said it was crap. We adapted it, phoned people up again. They said it was good. That's what business planning to me is. It's and it's real time but I know a lot of entrepreneurs who spend a year playing with the deck making the slides look nice getting the spreadsheet all nice and tidy get out there and talk to people yeah amazing so 4Ps digital marketing agency yeah what were the learnings as you went so Louise have you heard of the Dunbar number Dunbar number I don't think so no so Dunbar number is as human beings we can manage about 100 relationships in our life okay so at its core there's like uh, our really close family and friends out Outside of that sort of group of five, six, there's a sort of a close network. There might be 10, 12 people in that. And then outside of that, you've got your like crew, your, your people that you love and you like to see them and you, you see them in the summer and, and whatever. And it's not, not the end of the world if you don't see each other for three months, but then you pop up, see each other for a beer and everyone's best mate straight away. There's that lot. And then you've got your work crew and so on. And before you know it, you're up to 100 people. Yeah, it doesn't um, take long. Yeah, the, the biggest learning in, is that when you're like five, six people, you know how everyone's feeling 
feeling when we started to get into like 60 70 80 people people started getting really pissed off and everyone was like oh four piece is changing oh god it's a terrible company now blah 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 blah, blah. Okay. and what we realized is that when we were four or five people we knew how everyone felt but once we got to like 40 50 people we didn't know and we see this in the happiness index data now smaller companies are happier than bigger companies okay so we lost a little bit of touch on how people felt basically the happier people are at work the more they perform but if yeah. you lose touch with how people feel and what's motivating them and so on they're going to become unhappy so the culture piece was a huge learning for all of us so do you feel like people's happiness at the four p's was a direct relation on sales how well the company did, and then how well you guys profited from it. There's a Richard Branson quote that customers don't come first, employees come first. So we took that philosophy, right? We called it personal client agency growth is what we called our mission. So we said, we'll invest in the people. The people will be trained and looked after. Then they will look after the customers. The customers will feel looked after. And then the agency, the company will grow. Yeah. And that did play out. That is what happened. But this is where the happiness index was invented because we didn't have any data on it. So what we did is built a piece of tech that just asked our employees and customers how happy they were with us and from that we started collecting the data and then ben miller one of my team at the time said to one of us he said oh you should call this thing the happiness index. Ah, and there a business opportunity was born yeah. And, and that's why I agreed to come on, Louise, to your podcast, because out of your biggest failures can come your biggest opportunities. Because Absolutely. what we realized in that moment is the problem that we had, everyone had. It wasn't just us. Every growing company starts to lose touch because of that Dunbar number. We're not robots. Yeah. We don't just connect in like some blooming like cyborgs and connect yeah, our yeah. brains into each other. There's only so much relationships and, and stuff we can have. So data helps a CEO and HR director just pull up a report and say, oh, people are not feeling great at the moment. Then these are the three reasons. Let's, let's fix them. Yeah. Oh, wow. I love that. So you're giving people the tools to improve their employees' quality of life, really. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you can't fix stuff. Like if you look at the macro data now, there are people who are stressed at the lockdowns. Now, yeah. as a CEO, you can't guarantee that Boris is going to lift restrictions at the certain dates that he said he has. So you might see that feedback. But what you can do is communicate that with people and say, look, I know I feel, I feel your pain. So do I. Empathize with people. Yeah. Just the process of doing that, saying, I've heard you. I've, I think the same as you. We're all in this together. Some people look at it and think, oh, we're collecting information on stuff we can't do about. But that's one of the things that I've learned about friendship is that sometimes your job is just to listen, isn't it? Yeah, there's so much strength in that. So much strength in just listening to someone. As an entrepreneur, I'm, I try and fix stuff. But I've learned, I've learned in my friendships and my mom and my sisters and, and everyone that actually my job sometimes is just to listen and shut up. And that's, that's hard as an entrepreneur because my instinct is to get in there and help. But what I've learned that the hard way. I love that. So four P's, you guys have developed this product that is not yet a business. Is that the reason that you decided to move on to the happiness index full time because you saw a gap in the market or how did that come about? Lots of things. A service business is very stressful. And when we started, I was 25. Mm. And one thing I've learned from having my own podcast, Happiness in Humans. Are you into your garage? Do you, garage yeah, 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 I'm a big garage listener. Yeah. In the early days of garage, there's a, a DJ called Norris the Boss Windross. He comes on my podcast to talk about does music 
music make you happy but one of the things i learned from norris is that he talks about as you go through life you get better tools he doesn't mean like technology it means you get better at dealing with things and you learn different techniques and tools i have more tools now to be a leader than i did at 25 yeah it's like the first time one of your team resign when you start a company you think like it's a personal insult on yourself and you're gutted yeah yeah but as you develop you realize that that's a great rewarding exciting time you need to celebrate and you see some leaders and companies get stuck in that they get annoyed with the people that resign it's like if someone's resigned one that's good for them because they're progressing their career two you need to look inside about why didn't you offer the opportunity there that them yeah when you're 25 you don't get that and also some people never get that. So you have to be on your own learning development plan. To answer your question, I didn't want to be defined by four Ps. And I didn't experience this to the negative, but a lot of business owners, they don't always talk about this, but you start your own business to escape working for someone else. Yeah. But when you've got your own business, it also becomes its own jail. Like you build this bigger and bigger jail that very stressful. And I just wanted to see what was on the outside of it. We actually left the business for a year, our own business, and let the leadership team run it. We didn't have the right blend of people in it, in, in my opinion. So we made the decision to come back in and sell the business. So we put another year into growing it and so on. But it's like anything, isn't it? Like anyone who's been... You just want a change as well. If you've been at something for so long, I mean, if you were employed by a company, it's only right for you to start looking at different companies for a bit of a change, see how they do it somewhere else. Yeah, for me, I just felt like I needed to experience something else. To answer your question at that point, I didn't know I was going to join the Happiness Index. We'd spun it out into a different company for intellectual property, and we'd convinced one of our other friends to found that business. So that business had already started and was sufficient without me and Chris. So we sold our business and then still own 25% of this new business called the Happiness Index. But neither of us had decided at that point that we were going to join the company. We just both took four or five months out just to work out what the hell had just happened in the last 10 years. <laughs> just process it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, massively. Great. So then business starts. Yeah. You're, you're going to all these companies saying, look at this great tech we've got. We can make sure that your business thrives through happy employees, through the product that we have that we will sell to you. So that's all going well. And then COVID hits. Yeah, nightmare. <laughs> Absolute nightmare. And everybody automatically gets pulled out of their jobs and put on furlough yeah. or out of their offices and into their flats, houses, yeah. garden sheds, wherever they're working from now. Yeah. And all of a sudden, people have nothing to get up for in the morning, no motivation or they're working double hard because mm-hmm. there doesn't really seem to be boundaries anymore. There's no more nine to five. People are working eight till seven, 10 o'clock at night because there's nowhere else to go. And I do feel like companies kind of expected a little bit more from people when COVID first started because you didn't have your travel time. So I imagine happiness takes a real nosedive during this time. Yeah, hugely. It was a weird scenario because never had our services been in more demand, (laughs) but never had there been less money to pay for our services. (laughs) Oh, God. You could imagine it if you were studying business studies, they go, scenario A, it's like a question on the exam, isn't it? Like all your clients want to stay with you, but they need to pause payments. You still need to pay your staff. Demand for your services is skyrocketing, but from also from people that don't have any money. Oh, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, like, what do you do? <laughs> what a nightmare. 
So first thing we thought, this is shit. We're in trouble here, just like most businesses. But what can we do? Because the good thing about studying happiness is it helps you with your own happiness. So we focused really quickly on what we could do. What we decided to do at this point was to create a free version of the product. Okay. We thought, right, we can't sell to people at the moment because that's insensitive. Let's help. Let's do what we can to help. So we already had a product called Employee Voice. We stripped it down and made a free version of it. So any company that wanted to suddenly understand how their people feel because they couldn't walk around the office and see them could access that product. Um, that went crazy. There was companies signing up all over it. So for example, New Look furloughed, I think, eleven or 13,000 staff. Wow. Um, they took the free version of Employee Voice and then they kept a, a hold on how these people on furlough were feeling. So what that then amounted to is that actually we were then had millions of data points on how people were feeling because people were anonymously going in the 12,000 from new look and so on and so on so then we started releasing data on your original question about how people were feeling it helped everyone because the more you understand these situations the, the better you can respond to it mm-hmm. so happiness no getting away from it dropped drastically right yeah dropped. i mean you don't need to be a brain surgeon to know no that everyone has had a terrible year. <laughs> yeah, terrible year. But what can we learn from it and what's useful for leaders? So yeah. the first thing is happiness dropped, but the amount people wanted to talk quadrupled. Okay. So employees wanted to communicate more than they ever had. Interesting. But if you're a leader of a business and you're also in fight or flight, because we've got to remember CEOs are human beings too, no matter what the Daily Mail want to tell you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> They're also worrying about their mum and their dad and their children and their cousins and their sisters and their employees. So many CEOs are in fight or flight. And what happens when you go into fight or flight is you shut down. So you're not necessarily in communication mode. So the first data point that we were getting out to people is there is something here that we called an emotional deficit. Employees want to communicate more than ever. Mm. CEOs are shutting down because they don't know what to say. And they're also scared. Obviously, CEOs don't like to admit they're scared because they like to be seen as the leader. Of course. The best leaders, the ones that we saw the numbers go up, communicated that they were scared, communicated that they didn't have all the answers and listen to what people were saying through employee voice. Yeah. So Just within that- people as a human. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it comes into all these things like, you know, toxic masculinity, toxic positivity. They all lead back to the original thing where what I was talking about when I got into the world of work, I thought, who are these aliens people that I just don't understand? Like, can't relate to these people. They don't, they seem like robots. And and this is where the, the, the people who were showing empathy and humanness, their employees, we're getting through what we call the change curve quicker. Right. There was some CEOs still just pretending everything was going on, like it was an episode of EastEnders. The change curve relating to the fact that we all had to change very quickly once COVID hit. It's a massive change, isn't it? Like you're working from home and da-da-da-da. The beginning of that change curve is panic and worry. Unless you move employees through that, they stay in that stage, which is not healthy for everyone. Like The final stage is acceptance and moving on. But unless you're actively trying to help employees through that, curve you are going to struggle because lots of ceos communicate in a rational way in a scary situation people are in an emotional state so if someone's in an emotional state giving them a rational 45 point plan and what you're planning to do is not going to work yeah, they're not going to hear that at all, are they? No, you just need to be saying things. Look, Louise, I, I know you're stressed, so am I. We'll get through this together. It's just yeah. simple, basic stuff. And then as you see that the population change and the overall feeling change, then you start moving people onto the practical of what yeah. we're going to do about it. 
solidarity really with your employees yeah and honestly like if half the people are going to lose their jobs you got to tell them and, and help people move on and stuff like that some companies try and hush it all up while they work it all out and all that kind of stuff um, and there's legal reasons for doing that but sharing with people what's going on we have you heard of the umbrella concept of management yeah so my biggest learning in covid is to shred and get rid of the umbrella because the umbrella is the traditional way that a leader or manager should hold up the umbrella to protect the team from the rain yeah what we learn is that by getting rid of the umbrella we told everyone our financial predicament and everything we shared the whole PL. noel our head of finance presented the whole thing this is a scenario yeah. now unless you're breaking child slave labor laws every single one of your employees is an adult yeah when we showed our team that they all came up with ideas on how we could plug the gaps wow they just wanted right. to help yeah, and that's where it comes back to purpose. If people believe in your purpose, they'll want to help. So if I take one guy, I'll call him out because this is a good story, Adam Coleman. He was, the first thing he said, he was like, well, um, I've not got a commute anymore. Cost me, couldn't believe how expensive it was. He travels up from Ashford. I think they call them the £5,000 club, like people will pay more than 5000 Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous how much money they need to spend yeah. on trains. Awful. When I say I live in London, I, I say well, I live in London because it's cheaper because I can't afford the frigging train. Yeah. So expensive. expensive. You've got to pay the train and your rent. That's why I originally moved here. Adam was coming forward saying, well, look, you can reduce my wage by £500. Our sales director, Mark Thompson, and our marketing director, Caroline, she said, I believe in what we're trying to do here. I I can afford to go three months without salary. Whoa. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So those were the type of conversations. So what we could have done, right, is not told everyone, and made half the company redundant. That's what we could have done. Yeah. But by telling everyone, everyone chipped in these little bits that they could do. We didn't go ahead with all of them because some of them we didn't want to accept because we felt like they didn't need to. But long story short, so as founders, we took no money out. We went down to zero salary. It made me laugh when you were getting like CEOs on like half a million pound a year going, oh, I'm going to take a 10% pay cut. It's like frigging hell. So it kind of sounds like by doing things differently, by being honest, by communicating and sharing, actually you saw bigger benefits. Yeah. And what came of that is we made everyone in the company shareholders in the business. Okay. Because we said at our darkest moment, you have helped us and you've acted like an owner. You've acted like you own this business because as a co-founder of the business, for me to go down to zero salary don't even have to think about it right bangs my business i own over i don't know what i own 26 27 percent of it or something that's just simple for me to do but when you're not an owner and you go and do that that is that's unbelievable as far as i'm concerned i'll never forget what those people did wow. um, but you have to reward that and nobody asked to be rewarded no one said i will go down but you have to give me some shares yeah so we moved very quickly to reward everyone I mean, to make them owners in the business I love that. So where is the happiness index now? Now that we're one year through COVID, we're we're kind of, we've got a roadmap to kind of get out of it now. We're not really in the depths anymore. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. How are you guys getting on? It's going really well at the moment. We've just we've just launched into France. Amazing. So we raised just over a million pounds worth of funding. Uh, did it w- with one video on LinkedIn, popped a little video up. 30 people contacted me and 21 or 22 people put in a million together, put in about a million quid. Wow. Um, so that's created, I can't remember the exact number, eight to 12 new jobs. 
spreading the happiness in France now. That's the plan. Everything we do is data driven. So France in the top 11 economies in the world, I don't know why it's top 11 and not top 10. I've no idea what strength for coffee I had that morning when I asked for that report. But in the top 11 economies in the world, France has the lowest GDP to employ happiness conversion rate. Wow. Which okay. sounds like a, it sounds like a mouthful, doesn't it? But it just means of the big economies, France has the unhappiest employees. So we look at that and go, okay, there's a big economy here. We're a business at the end of the day. Um, yeah. We need to make money. So there's a big economy there, there. So there's a big piece of the pie, but they also have the biggest problem as in their unhappiest employees. So that was a natural move for us. Great. Great. I love that. And how is the happiness of your own employees in the UK? So this is the thing that I want to leave you with, Louise, which is it is normal in a normal day to feel happy and unhappy. Mm. So from the outside perspective, sometimes, especially when we go in through the interview process, I may go to extreme lengths to tell people that I'm interviewing that the happiness index is not sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> we have all the same stresses, problems and challenges of every fast, rapidly scaling business, right? Of course. But... The difference is every single day we're trying to do something about it and we take it really seriously. So to answer your question, it fluctuates every second and every day, but we use our own technology to understand why it's fluctuating and what's making people unhappy and so on. So to answer your question, our people are happy and unhappy, but that, (laughs) that, unless you're a robot or dead, you won't be experiencing that. So that's what makes us human. It's totally normal. If you feel unhappy tomorrow don't get sad because you're unhappy get happy because you're alive that's part of it (laughs) i love that oh that's amazing thanks so much matt you've been so good i've really enjoyed our conversation it's been an eye-opener really and really we need to encourage more companies to empathize with their employees and make sure that their happiness is part of the company strategy yeah i agree louise amazing thank you thanks so much Thanks for having me on the podcast. I really, really enjoyed your questions. If you want to listen to more episodes of Failing to Succeed, check us out on Spotify or iTunes or go to failingtosucceed.co.uk.